Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Get Your Goat Podcast. Josh here, and here we go again. More NFL news, getting into the Hall of Fame weekend, the Hall of Fame game. Contract extensions being handed out to Darius Leonard and Josh Allen, breaking those down. Russell Wilson is yet again opening his mouth regarding expectations he wants for the team. Let's see what the self-named, proclaimed Mr. Unlimited wants this time as he ventures to be of that same category as Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Then I'm going to get into my top five wide receiver corps, Kawhi Drama and Big AL East Division in baseball. Let's get into it. Starting with Darius Leonard, a linebacker for the Indianapolis Colts, anchor of this great Colts defense that was last year, signing a contract extension that makes him the highest paid linebacker, which happens a week after Fred Warner got the deal to be the highest paid linebacker. Darius Leonard surpassed that with a five-year $98.5 million deal, making him the highest paid linebacker in NFL history, saying that, you know, with this status as number one, this cements him, that proves that he is the best, he is the best, but now he has to continue to play like he has. And Darius Leonard is a beast on the football field. He really really is uh, coming out rookie season to be in your rookie season, be first team all pro is sensational, led the league in 163 total tackles, 111 of them uh, being uh, solo, eight quarterback hits, 12 tackles for loss, four forced fumbles, Two interceptions. I mean, he was all over the field his rookie year. How do you do any better than that? Well, he had a dip in tackles. Well, that's because 163 is just an absurd number. It really is. Well, he still is great. Pro Bowl plays in less games. 121 tackles. Seven tackles for losses. Five interceptions. One of those being a pick six. I mean... Again, does it all. Last year, again, another Pro Bowl, another first-team All-Pro, 132 tackles, uh, didn't even play the full season, three forced fumbles. So again, all over the field. Darius Leonard has been one of the best linebackers since he's entered the game. To me, has been one of the best when I named my linebackers. Out of all the linebackers, he's in my top five. If you want to go strictly inside, He is in the top three for sure. That's how good Darius Leonard is. And he's very deserving of this contract, uh, I believe, because he's also, which I like about him, is he is a younger guy as well, only uh, 25, 26 years old, whereas, you know, Fred Warner is a little older than him. Bobby Wagner is, you know, in terms of football, Years quite a bit older than him. So it's good for him, you know, to get paid now 
to continue what he's doing because he has been great in his career for, you know, 416 tackles in his career, seven interceptions, nine forced fumbles. I mean, this guy does it all. Is the anchor of this Colts defense is the signal caller for the second level and has proven to be one of the best. No problems there with Darius Leonard getting this contract extension. Then another contract got reworked, and that was Xavier Howard, cornerback from Miami Dolphins, who was very upset at the start of training camp, wanted a trade, pointed out how he was how that he's one of the best cornerbacks, but not even the highest paid cornerback on his team. Well, they reworked his deal to stay coming off a fantastic year, led the league in interceptions uh, last year with 10 double digits, and then also being 20 pass defended uh, as well, league high pro bowler, first team all pro. And to me, this is a great move for the Miami Dolphins because to me, they're a team with what they did in the draft and what they've kind of done through free agency is they've kind of asserted them to the second to the Buffalo Bills to kind of challenge them for a division spot. Even if they don't win the division, with the roster that they had, they could actually get into the playoffs, have a playoff spot. I thought if they move Xavier Howard, that would be a huge loss. And I think the Miami Dolphins realize this as well, that they need Xavier Howard. They need him in that secondary on their team because the other guy getting their money, uh, Byron Murphy or Byron Jones, whoever it is, isn't getting it done. They need Xavier. They got some pass rushers, got the offensive line, got the weapons on offense. And if you lose a guy like Xavier in this division, you know, where you face the Stefan Diggs twice a year in big games, that's not something you just can't slide into another cornerback. So they need him. And when they are in bigger games, potentially, you know, against the Chiefs, if you want that island corner for the Miami Dolphins, Xavier Howard is that guy. So I think they're both happy that they got a deal done, but more so the uh, Miami Dolphins because they know how valuable that he is. And this is, I think, a great move, great organization where, hey, where we see the trade demands because of contracts, you usually see it where they get traded, you know, soon thereafter, and then the player, you know, lashes out on your organization, which doesn't help down the road get free agents. Or what you do is you let them play the remainder of the contract out. If you can't trade them, you know, let them go. And it's still, you know, that kind of bad blood. Very rarely do we see teams, you know, rework contracts after a trade demand. You see management and the agents of the players very standoffish. But this is one where you get it resolved. Both of them realize how much they need each other, and it's kind of this cohesive relationship. So I'm glad that the Dolphins got this done with one of the best corners in the game. To me, again, was in my top five for the best, top three, and he needed to be paid like it. So I'm glad that this deal got done. Then what else happened? Well, Russell... Wilson opened his mouth again, 
back to his demands, acting like a little kid when he's not Aaron Rodgers, when he is not Tom Brady. And what does he want? He wants Dwayne Brown, the left tackle for the Seahawks, with the contract extension he has held out, is not playing because of that contract extension dispute. Uh, they also have one going on with Jamal Adams, who they're going to pay. But Wilson saying not having, and I quote, not having Dwayne Brown out there is a pretty significant deal because I think he's one of the best left tackles in the game. There's no arguing it. I think he's as good as it gets. There's nobody more athletic, more talented than he is. Age is just a number. He looks like he's 28 to 30 out there. He's really exceptional, so smart and physical, understands the game. And I think people fear him, to be honest with you, when they're rushing him and playing against him. So we definitely want to be able to get him back out there. We've got to figure that out because we need Dwayne Brown. End of quote. What is Russell Wilson saying here? To me, he is saying he's one of the best left tackles in this game, uh, which I disagree. Wasn't even in my top offensive linemen. When I did my list, and by most experts' list as well, Dwayne is not one in there, uh, especially rushing. You see the Seahawks offensive line. He is also part of his problem, but still thinks he's as good as he gets. Nobody more athletic. That's Obviously, he's just saying nice things about his teammate. Uh, he is older. He will be turning 36. So you really don't want to hand out a big contract to a left tackle who's had injury problems, turning 36, a long-term extension, you really don't want to play this out much longer. If I was a general manager, I'd be trading Dwayne Brown for another offensive lineman. Do I know that he's skilled and he's smart? And Sure, I get all that, Russell. But age is not just a number when it comes to football. Everybody likes the younger guys out there. They're more athletic. There's more uh, years to come than the older guys, even though the older guys might be more polished. But in terms of offensive linemen, I definitely want a younger, less injury-prone offensive lineman. When you, when you look at his contract, he's set to earn $11.5 million this year. Why not just let that play out? If you're the Seahawks, of course, Dwayne Brown wants that money. Uh, because he can secure it because he's old. Uh, if he gets injured, then at least he has some of that security. So, do I think they'll give in? Actually, no, I don't think the Seahawks are going to give in. I think they're more concerned about Jamal Adams. And that right now, I think there could be a possible trade uh, with Stefan Gilmore as well, which I would love to see because the Seahawks secondary needs a lot of help this team really does need a lot of help. But Russell, again, 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 and again, is making demands after, you know, there was public perception that you wanted to get traded. Uh, if, you know, you wanted more input on the team, everything was resolved. You said how much you love this team. It was never, it was all smoke is what it was, and then you say things like this again, where things real are they really okay between you and Seattle? I'm glad you and Dwayne 
are doing great and uh, everything, but seriously, Russell, there are bigger things for you to focus on than a 36-year-old left tackle. I know that might seem harsh, but you need to work on your own game, Russell. Dwayne can work and focus on his trying to make all these demands. A, you're clearly not going to get them because Seattle doesn't value you like the Buccaneers value Tom Brady. Obviously, like the Packers value Aaron Rodgers because they gave in to his demands and traded for an old wide receiver and Randall Cobb. So you see certain teams do things for certain players. Russell, I don't think the Seahawks value, especially as I've been saying with Pete Carroll, his philosophy of defense and running the football doesn't mesh well with what Russell Wilson is trying to do right now in his career. So who knows uh, as well what's going to happen, but I don't think he gets that contract extension. Don't think Russell is happy, and I think more smoke is gets played in there. What next? Well, the Hall of Fame weekend, the first preseason game between the Cowboys and the Steelers. I said the Steelers would win because Dallas had quite a bit of people out, and I don't think their reserves were as good as Pittsburgh, and I was right. Pittsburgh really didn't look good to start this game. It was 3-0 Cowboys at halftime. Some missed field goals by Pittsburgh. But Pittsburgh did win 16-3, 16 unanswered points in the second half. I think Mason Rudolph made a couple good throws. Chase Claypool with a tremendous catch. Najee Harris didn't look great, but that's what I've been saying is the offensive line that Pittsburgh had is not really that good. It's not an Alabama offensive line. It's not a uh, Bucks offensive line or a Browns offensive line or a great offensive line. They've let people go, and I think Najee was going to struggle uh, kind of trying to create on his own, but we'll continue to see on that. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Najee has a great season, but if this is a foregleam of things to come, then this poor uh, rushing offense that the Pittsburgh had last year, I think will only uh, present its same issues this year as well. But Micah Parsons on defense for the Cowboys looked good. They had some decent plays and snaps, but again, the Cowboys, even though I think they're the best team in the NFC East, is not really saying much. This division is not good at all. And just another uh, side point, how is Dallas in the NFC East? I get the other teams, the Giants, the Philadelphia, Washington, football team that's in Maryland, but how is Dallas an NFC East team? To me, it makes no sense at all how they are in the NFC East. Uh, It really does make no sense. I mean, I know they can't be in the NFC West because the NFC West is all on the, actually really all on the West Coast. Maybe the NFC South moved Carolina over to the East because they're East too and 
they're not south like Florida or Georgia or any of those, but maybe that's something the league could look at because really Dallas Cowboys aren't an east team. When I think of Texas, I don't think east, but that's neither here nor there. Now, Josh Allen has just got a mega contract. Yet another quarterback getting a big deal this time in terms of Josh Allen, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Got a six-year, $258 million deal, $150 million guaranteed being the most in NFL history's annual averages. Right below Patrick Mahomes, I think this deal is actually, for the player, is better than Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes have a 10-year $503 million. So uh, Josh Allen kind of gets the same amount but more up front, which I don't get because Patrick Mahomes uh, did more in his first three years than Patrick Mahomes. Or, I mean, Patrick Mahomes did more in his first uh, three years playing than Josh Allen. So, good for Josh Allen. Had a great year this year. He did 13-3. and Started every game. Quarterback rating of 81. Completion percentage of 70. Threw for 4,500 yards. 37 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. What a great year. Pro bowler, I mean, had it done. So this is what we're going to see is all these mega deals. For quarterbacks, you're going to have Baker working on one, Lamar Jackson working on one. But so far, you have three quarterbacks with mega deals. You have Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. You have... Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs and Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys. You have those three quarterbacks getting paid more than any other player because of the big deals that they signed. Now, I know why Patrick Mahomes got his deal. I do. That is so logical to me why he is the highest paid player when he's won a league MVP in the year where he went to the Pro Bowl, was first team All-Pro in that year, his first full season playing, had a 12-4 and record, league high 50 touchdowns as well, had a touchdown percentage of around uh, 9 when attempting a pass, league high Average yards uh, gain per attempt, 10 league high. Quarterback rating, 80. A league high. Net yards per pass attempt at 9. League high. Proximate value to your player is 22. League high. Basically, everything he did was a league high when he won MVP. Came up short in the AFC Championship game, but the world... Had their eyes attached to Patrick Mahomes. What is he going to do? Second year gets injured for a couple games, but still, in the time that he plays quarterback, he's 11 and 3, threw for 26 touchdowns, 4,000 yards, completion percentage of 
66 around the same interceptions, much less if I became a much better passer. And he wins Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP, and they're like, this dude, you know, is going to be a contender every year. And again, he was last year, another Pro Bowl, almost 5,000 yards, 38 touchdowns to six interceptions, uh, most passing yards a game at 316, led the league, led the league in passes intercepted when attempting a pass at one, another league high. So again, he has done it all. Super Bowl champion, offensive player of the year. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I get the reason why he has such a good contract is because you just watch him throw the football and he makes these no-look passes and he scrambles out of a pocket and he gains 30 yards running the ball or he'll get right up to the line and he'll throw it 60 yards to Tyreek Hill. He, everything he does is so imaginative and the system that he was in with Andy Reid fits him so perfectly for him to succeed so well. He succeeds everything he does. I get why he has this huge contract. He, to me, is the most deserving of this mega deal. Then you go to Dak Prescott, who got it last year, was injured, but again, wasn't happy. Uh, has never really led the league in anything. has been to the Pro Bowl twice his rookie year in 2018. So the last full season we got from Dak, he threw for almost 5,000 yards, but his team was 8-8. Eight and eight. A lot of those were trying to come back and win, which they didn't do. 30 touchdowns. It was a career high for him, but he also had 11 interceptions, uh, which wasn't good. Yards per game was around 306, not even league high then. Uh, So, you know, you're like, does he deserve it? You know, this team hasn't been to a conference championship game. I think they've won one playoff game where they beat Seattle in 2018 but they haven't really won playoff games or had playoff success like the Patrick Mahomes has uh yes I think he's a good leader for the Cowboys I I think Jerry Jones doesn't mind him but again uh to me he can't make you know throws like the uh Patrick Mahomes of this world Aaron Rodgers to me he's not that Great quarterback presence back there. He's not polished running the football as well. He has one of the best wide receiver corps, which I will be getting into in just a second, to make him look really good in Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, and Amari Cooper. Earlier in his career, that's when Ezekiel Elliott was one of the best backs in football, had one of the best offensive lines. So everything was really working for him. But when we see eight and eight, everything not working, you don't really see, you know, great numbers. You see him turn the ball over, look uncomfortable in the pocket. So is he deserving of a mega deal? You know, I would say no, he wasn't, you know, that deserving. Was he deserving of a contract? Of course. But of the magnitude, I don't think so. And then when you look at Josh Allen as well, I was having this conversation with somebody and they said, you know, what were the Bills before Josh Allen and you know they weren't good he comes and now they're great and on the map and I said you know you act like this is Josh Allen's 
first year. To me, the reason why Josh Allen did really good is because they had Stephon Diggs, and that's why he's at my top number three wide receiver, and I had to bump Josh Allen down a little bit because Stephon Diggs means more to this team than Josh Allen because what did Josh Allen do with no Stephon Diggs in this same system his first year? 11 games uh, he started was 5-6, and six, 2,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, more interceptions than touchdowns. Uh, I don't really like that number at all. A 52 complete percent, completion percentage, uh, 67 quarterback rating, uh, 28 sacks. You're like, this dude can't play the game of football. Maybe there's something in there, but... I really don't like that first year. wasn't good at all. Complete garbage. And then his second year, they said, we're giving you the reins to the quarterback. Started every game was 10-6. and six. Hey, he's much improved. He doubled his win total while keeping the same loss total. That's a plus. Improved his completion percentage a few points to 59. Uh, good for you. Doubled his touchdowns to 20 while decreasing his interceptions to nine, threw for 3,000 yards, increased or kept the same quarterback rating at 49. Uh, so he did make improvements with a full-time starter, but then there were certain times in the playoff game against the Texans in certain games where the pressure was just too much for him. He was making throws that no one in anywhere, shape, or form should be making he made plays where it was total meltdown, and you thought this guy could be good, but he needs to stop making those plays. So they went out and got Stefan Diggs, and it was a game changer. Selected to the Pro Bowl, 13 and 3, 4,500 yards as well, 37 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, uh, 81 quarterback rating, almost doubled. That completion percentage went up 10 points to 69%. So really that effect of Stephon Diggs had a lot on him. If Stephon Diggs doesn't get traded there, I do think Josh Allen progresses, but not at this MVP caliber rate where he went from a quarterback that, you know, we were all thinking about, is he going to be the guy to MVP level quarterback? So I think when he gets this extension of this most money guaranteed, to me it really puts into effect the impact of Stefan Diggs. And you see Josh Allen making these improvements. To But to me, if I were the Bills, I would have waited one more year. I would have. Because you want to see if he can replicate that same success with the team that he has. Or if this was kind of a one-hit I get very scared watching quarterbacks have a couple of very poor years and then have a great year. Makes you wonder if they can replicate that same success or not. That remains to be seen, but I would have held off one year on paying him all this money just like I would of Dak Prescott as well, where he did have a couple of good years, but he also had... You know, quite a few down years, Wintel coming off an injury, how he's going to look after the injury. Now it's a shoulder thing, whereas uh, Patrick Mahomes, yes, he's been injured a couple times, but somehow he still comes back, injured or not, leads his team to a Super Bowl. 
I mean, that's the difference there. Is there's Super Bowl champions, and then there's non-Super Bowl champions. And that's why you pay Patrick Mahomes the big bucks, is he's a Super Bowl champion, and the other quarterbacks are not Super Bowl champions. That's my two cents on that. Now I'm going to talk about the top five wide receiver corps in the game. Now this, to me, is the best uh, collection of wide receivers that a team has talented on their team. This isn't best wide receiver duos, or else I'd probably have the Seahawks, Tyler Lockett, and DK Metcalf. But this is corpse as a whole, whereas I mentioned the Seattle Seahawks and having a great duo, but they don't have a third or fourth guy. It is mainly those two guys, whereas the five teams I'm going to name have more than two guys to spread the wealth around, maybe if those top two guys aren't of the same level. So in my top five wide receiver core or corps in the game, number five is the Los Angeles Rams. Why last year, kind of a mess offensively, uh, the yards that they had receiving total were 4,000 as a team, 20 touchdowns as well receiving. So this team did well, but they had Jared Goff in at quarterback, so there was some issues uh, there. You had Cooper Cup lead the way at around 907 D4 yards as well. You had Robert Woods at 936 yards. You really have a true kind of two wide receivers who can work with slots and do a bulk of the work from there in Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. They also had a great uh, slot wide receiver who left in Josh Reynolds. Uh, Gerald Everett left as well. But Tyler Higby is still there, tight end, who had 521 yards. He'll have a lot of the work. They signed uh, Deshaun Jackson, who I think will be really good uh, for this team. Is not going to have to be the number one guy, but kind of the ultimate deep threat where he has led the league uh, multiple times in, in sort of uh, yards after the run. So we saw that in Tampa Bay and Washington and Philadelphia. He's continually done that. Yes, he's only played eight games the past two years, but I think this team should be very happy with the way this wide receiver uh, corpse is looking. As I said, Robert Woods and Cooper Cups are great route runners who get open often. They have Van Jefferson, who was a rookie last year, can be more of a vertical threat. Uh, to Atwell, who they drafted, is sort of that Deshaun Jackson-esque player. So they have a ton of receiving talent on this team. Big play additions. They have Matthew Stafford, who's kind of a big play uh, quarterback. So I think they'll be able to do this for sure uh, with the team that they have and be able to stretch the ball down the field to Deshaun Jackson, pick up yards when needed with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. This team should be fine receiving the football. They don't drop a lot of passes, so this team will be great. Have They have one of the best wide receiver corps in the game. So they are number five. Well, who is number four? Well, that is 
the Tennessee Titans. And when you think of the Tennessee Titans, you really don't think of them being a pass-happy team with Ryan Tannehill. No, you think of Derrick Henry and the team that they have. But really, what the Tennessee Titans have is a good offensive scheme. Uh, receiving the ball last year, A.J. Brown, 70 receptions for 1,005 yards. Corey Davis, who left but had 984. John U. Smith left as well. Adam Humphreys left. So you're like, Josh, what are you saying? You had players leave this team. Yes, you have Corey Davis leave. But who's replacing Corey Davis? Well, that's Julio Jones, one of the best wide receivers in the game. A seven-time Pro Bowler, a two-time first-team All-Pro who's led the league in receiving yards multiple times in receptions and yards a game. I mean, he does it all. You're replacing Corey Davis with that where you have to pick your poison between A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Julio Jones, a perennial 1,000-yard receiver, when healthy, put up great numbers in nine games last year. That's Julio Jones for you. And what else did they do? Well, that Josh Reynolds guy, I just talked about being there on the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Well, guess what? He is now on the Titans. They signed him who had 618 yards last year in the 13 games that he started from the slot. So we have a couple of ex-wide receivers who can run it. They have the slot as well. So A.J. Brown who had a great season last year, whose skill set to me is kind of like Julio Jones. Now you have Julio Jones. You've got Josh Reynolds, who takes all these snaps as well. You kind of have three main guys. Your tight end, Anthony Ferkser, shouldn't really use him a lot because of the wide receiver sets and Derrick Henry. But to me, having those three guys helps out your team tremendously. That's why they have one of the best wide receiver corps in the game. What about number three? That is the Buffalo Bills. Why? Well, they have to me one of the best wide receivers in the game, Stephon Diggs, who had led the league in receiving yards last year in receptions, 127 receptions, 1,500 yards Pro Bowl, first team All-Pro, Eight touchdowns. Not only that, but they had a great duo. The slot, you had Cole Beasley, who almost had a 1,000 yards, had a career 967 receiving yards, career-high 82 receptions, four touchdowns as well. So this team, or these two players together, got it done. They used Gabriel Davis as well. Uh, they used their backfield catching the ball. But to me, they had an underrating signing in that of Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders uh, was injured uh, last year, really with this dysfunctional Saints team, didn't get off the ground running. But Emmanuel Sanders was great for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Because of them, I really think that helped this team get to the Super Bowl in the nine games he played with them. 500 yards, uh, three touchdowns. It was great at Denver. was never a number one option. Usually a number two, but last year was forced into the one spot uh, with Michael Thomas being injured. This year, he's like a number three spot 
because of Cole Beasley and Stefan Diggs. So really, a group last year that had the second highest receiving grade, you had Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley, uh, led the league in slot. Yardage is usually open as well, open 70% of his targets against single coverage is just ridiculous. You've got Emmanuel Davis, or Emmanuel Sanders, Gabriel Davis, great route runners as well. So really, this team has one of the best wide receiver corps. Very underrated. Nobody talking about the Gabriel Davis and the Emmanuel Sanders, but to me, that's what makes this team really, really good. Now, who's number two? That is the Dallas Cowboys. Why does the Dallas Cowboys quarterback Andy Dalton, who put up decent numbers last year, uh, Dak Prescott, well, that's because they have some of the best wide receivers in the game. They have Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, and Michael Gallup. Amari Cooper last year, over 1,000 yards receiving and five touchdowns was great. Michael Gallup, Almost 1,000 yards. Had 840. Was a year removed from 1,000 receiving yards. Five touchdowns. C.D. Lamb, who was a rookie, almost had 1,000 yards. 935. So they were close to three receivers having 3,000 receiving yards total. They had 4,000 when you add in a tight end, uh, Dalton Schultz, and what they use out of the backfield. But this team has tremendous young talent. At wide receivers. They're all great. Cooper is really, really good. Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb in the slot as well, where he, he can fit in other roles of this offense. To me, will it be they be better than they were with Dak Prescott? I think they should because they have a ton of talent out there on that field. To me, they can't be number one because they've had a couple of drops among the times. Uh, and problems getting open. But in terms of pure talent, you can't deny that of Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and C.D. Lamb. Well, fair number two, well, who can possibly be ahead of him? And that is the defending champions themselves, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have the best offensive talent, best receiving corps in the game, I think, by far. They have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, Gronkowski, Leonard Fournette, uh, who they use out of the backfield, uh, O.J. Howard coming back. So really, the offensive weapons and playmakers they have is insane. The best trio to me in the league of players I mentioned, all kind of graded at 70 or higher. Mike Evans with another 1,000. Yard receiver and performance, the only wide receiver to open their career with seven straight 1,000-yard seasons. Also had 15 touchdowns or 13 touchdowns as well. Chris Godwin's now on the franchise tag. They brought him back. One of the best uh, receivers in the game in terms of catching the ball. Uh, Not a lot of drops. 13 career drops. Seven of them were in the playoffs last year. I don't think he was ready for those big moments, but still is one of the best. Antonio Brown is one of the best wide receivers, I think, of all time. If you just look at purely football stats and not at 
off the field, he is one of the best, most dominant you have. Scotty Miller is one of the fastest receivers in the league. We saw him dust uh, King of the Green Bay Packers in that NFC Championship game. And as I said, Gronkowski, Cameron Brate, O.J. Howard uh, put up great numbers. So they're really locked and loaded at the receiving uh, position. There is no problems there at all that I see. I think only room for improvement. Another year of chemistry. Antonio Brown, who only was appeared in eight games last year, started in four due to injuries to a few other people, will be available every game this year. Yes, you can't foresee injuries, but this team has some of the best wide receivers in the NFL. So who are my top five again receiving corps in the game of football? Well, that is the Los Angeles Rams, the Tennessee Titans, the Buffalo Bills, the Dallas Cowboys, and number one, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. NBA free agency is now all over. Kawhi Leonard resigned with the Clippers. That's what I thought would happen. I haven't really heard anything official regarding the deal that he has signed, how many years it is for, the money. Uh, who knows? At this point, but one thing I do know is it's frustrating. I would think if you know Kawhi acts the way that he does, uh, load management doesn't talk ACL injury and still gets a big contracts as well. But you know it's good for them. I don't think that they'll be in a position to win without Kawhi. Kawhi is a great player in the top ten for sure, borderline. Top five, depending on how he plays, but with the load management, some of his kind of secret society type things that he runs uh, and voices out through people, I don't like, but it's now put the Clippers in a bind where, if I were the Clippers, I wouldn't have re-signed him. That's 37, 40 million. You can allocate to, you know, more talent, a more better, I wouldn't say better superstar, but another superstar who's more reliable, who's going to play and maybe could fit well with Paul George. We saw Paul George play great when Kawhi Leonard went down. I don't think those two uh, play well together. So I just don't think this was a good move uh, for the Clippers in terms of everybody kind of reloading and retooling in this offseason. I think the Clippers are going to sit this season out in terms of contending before a championship. Then in the NHL, a couple of big extensions. The Edmonton Oilers uh, re-signed defenseman Darnell Nurse on an eight-year deal. Uh, He's kind of been their big defenseman that carries a nine and a quarter million dollar average, who was very good last year, 36 points for them, is also great. On the power play with uh, Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl opens up a lot for him. So it's good. I think it's a lot of money in this flat salary cap. But we saw that with the Islanders as well. Signed an eight-year contract to their defenseman Adam Pellick. Who is one of the best uh, shutdown defenders in this league. The Rangers got a four-year deal with their goaltender Igor Shesterkin. On a $5 million deal who has been great. 
since he's came into the league uh, as well. So we'll see how all these move moves work out for their respective teams. But when I look at the NHL schedule, I pop it up the first game. Penguins and Lightning, that will obviously be a big game for both teams. Tampa Bay is going to open up with the ceremony, the Stanley Cup, the banner, all that. Very hostile environment. For my Pittsburgh Penguins, we're going to see what they are made of. We're going to see how this Tampa Bay team is uh, with some of their recent subtractions this offseason. Then we got the Seattle Kraken and the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas no longer with Flurry, Kraken looking like an AHL team. How will this team or this game fare up? But then the next day as well on TNT, you have the Rangers and Capitals. Tom Wilson, Ryan Reeves already, day one, should be magnificent. Blackhawks and Avalanche. Philip Grubauer no longer there on the Avalanche. Marc-Andre Fleury on the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks have looked like they're retooling. Contending a lot's going to be, I think, said that night, and you can pick apart a lot from that first game from both these teams where Avalanche had so high expectations last year, faltered in the playoffs, and then the Blackhawks are looking uh, to retool and rerun after missing out on the playoffs this past year. Now, last couple minutes talking about the MLB. The NL East is shaken up. It looked like the Mets were leading the NL East. Looks like they were the favorite. And all of a sudden, in a week span, that is no longer the case. The Phillies have surpassed them and are leading the division. And even the Braves have surpassed them. That's that DeGrom injury look big. The Philadelphia Phillies are on an eight-game willing streak. Zach Wheeler is pitching amazing. Even the Atlanta Braves are on quite a streak as well, winning quite a few out of their last few games without Ronald Acuna in that lineup anymore due to the ACL injury that happened a while ago. So really, I thought the Mets had a stranglehold, but Atlanta and Philly have passed them. And I think the Mets can pass Philly, but or the Mets can pass the Braves, but Philly is now the true contender to look out for. Bryce Harper playing like the way we are used to Bryce Harper playing. Like the league MVP that he is, NL MVP, looking like actually the favorite. Uh, but they do have, I believe, one more series against the Mets later in September, which could prove prove to be uh, quite the NLE showdown. Depends on if DeGrom gets back, if Lindor, who we expect to be an MVP as well, gets back to playing the level of ball that we're used to seeing Pete Alonso. As well, the Mets have a firepower, have a pitching, but with the hot streak Philadelphia has, that's where they're currently sitting. And then you have the AL East as well. Tampa Bay is kind of top of that division on a four-game winning streak. Boston, kind of trading shots with the Toronto Blue Jays, are now four back. The Yankees are two and a half back of Boston, and the Toronto is three games back, so that is all very tight. The Yankees were just in a minus deficit for run differential. Now they're in a positive, not as positive as Boston, but I think Toronto is still a team to look out for where they acquired Jose Barreos. Uh, they have Vlad Guerrero Jr., one of the best hitters in the game. You know, they have George Springer as well, who had a three run home run yesterday 
against the Red Sox and their comeback win. So really, this division has a lot of firepower, but not every team can get in. The Oakland A's are still holding for a spot and are above the Red Sox right now. So a lot can still happen in you know, the final two months, August and September. So we'll see. Anthony Rizzo on the COVID list for the Yankees. That won't help them at all in their playoff push. It is important to get those key ba- key guys back, him and Garrett Cole as well, uh, especially when we have a big uh, three-game stand coming up against the White Sox this week and then the Angels as well and then the Red Sox again. So they have a lot of games that are going to prove that they are for real or not. That's it, everybody. Talk to you all soon. Bye.